wonderful to be back to a free Christian church in Andover, one of my favorite places when I'm in North America, which is less and less as I spend uh, about three months intensive teaching. I'm losing my voice because I've been teaching so many hours this week. <laughs> and I'm leaving for Eastern Europe. Next Sunday I'll be preaching in Croatia, and the Sunday after that in Sarajevo, Bosnia. So there's quite a bit of travels here. <clears throat> but it's a privilege to be able to find a Sunday, and I want to thank Maureen Smith, your outstanding mission leader here, and who uh, has made all the arrangements and for, to Ken Thornton, I'm without a car these days, who has picked me up uh, this morning. Wonderful to see all of you. I recognize some faces, and that's always good. And I rejoice even more if there are faces that have not seen my face before. Uh, you are in the right place. Actually, I was thinking back, uh, our partnership on behalf of Global Missions goes back to the other millennium. It was during the war in Bosnia, and Bosnia was my first missionary calling, that I was invited here to uh, speak at the missions conference. And uh, ever since that time, you have been our partners, not only in prayer, but also in supporting refugees, in helping alleviate human suffering, uh, in, in trying jointly to bring good news to the people who have been bombarded in bad news, whether it's war-torn Muslim-dominated Bosnia or war-torn Muslim-dominated Kosovo, one of the youngest states in, uh, in Europe. Uh, so I come back to say thank you and for your last Christmas, uh, shall I say, special gift uh, to help again uh, the ministry to the refugees. The text that has been read by David, uh, the Macedonian call, is really the uh, text that tells us, about, uh, tells us about a very important turning point in the early church. Up to that point, the church was limited to Asia and Asia Minor. And then, due to the conversions of many who were not Jewish, there was a debate in the early church whether they should keep the law. And so in chapter 15, the apostles met and they made some decisions. And to kind of summarize it, the decision, the main decision was, let's not make them Jewish. They are Christian now. And they wrote a letter. And that letter was to be taken to all of the churches. And so Paul and his team take this letter and go through Asia Minor and we have a lot of geography there. You know, uh, Christian church has always to do a lot with geography because it is a global church. And at this point, a very significant uh, event takes place that internationalizes the, the gospel and takes it to a new continent, namely Europe. Europe. I want to say a few things about uh, Europe. Uh, I do want to draw attention to Europe because people don't think of Europe as a mission continent. They think of Europe as a mission sending continent, but the situation has changed due to secularization and a number of other developments and the, the, the 
focus, the center of gravity of the Christian faith has moved in the meantime from the west to the east and from the north to the south. So the church in terms of vitality and numbers is doing much better today in Latin America or Africa than it is in Europe. As a matter of fact, on this Lord's Day, there are more people worshiping the Lord in Africa than there are in Europe. There are more people in churches on this day in Latin America than there are in all of Europe. As a matter of fact, some estimates say that there are probably more people today worshiping the Lord in People's Republic of China, which is still under communist rule, than in Europe. So as I share with you this morning this Macedonian call, which is really a European call, I am sharing about uh, the needs of, of, of Europe. Uh, you know, we have, it's, a, it's an interesting scripture because here the Apostle Paul tries to go to Mysia, Bithynia, that's the geography you're talking about, Phrygia, and the Lord is stopping him. You know, there is something called negative guidance. The Lord, the Holy Spirit has the right to say no to our certain undertakings. I tell my charismatic friends, don't make the Lord your servant, whom you can boss around and say, go there and do this. No, no. He is the boss, and we are to obey. And so the Apostle Paul has to obey. He cannot go to Asia any longer, to Mysia and, and Bithynia, and the Lord is stopping him in all of these places because he has a different plan. He has a Macedonia. He has a new continent, Europe in mind. And so this vision that happens at night there is extremely important. The man speaks on behalf of his region and he says, please come over, over the waters, over from Asia to Europe and help us. And I'm struck by the fact that we Christians don't have only the command of the master who says go. Go and make disciples of all nations. We also have the calling or the invitations of the needy. The cry of the needy who say come. And we have to hear both. We have to hear the master who says be my witness. Go to certain places. Doesn't have to be overseas. Maybe it's go to your neighborhood and share the good news. It's the go, it's the command. But we also have to have our spiritual eyes open to see their needs and hear their cry for help, even if they don't articulate it in these words. But they are saying, come, help us. So we need to hear both uh, as we are ambassadors of God's kingdom among the kingdoms of this world. I want to show you uh, a few uh, maps that are related to this topic. Macedonia is still calling. Europe is still calling. This is how Christianity entered uh, Europe. And if we look at the uh, maps, uh, map, first map for the Europe under communism, we will be, no, the first one, that's, we will, oh, this is, yeah. <laughs> You can see it better than I can. I have to turn around and take a little bit of distance. 
Okay, that's the Europe that was there until the end of 1989. For a greater part of the 20th century, Europe was a divided continent, divided between Western democracies and Eastern Europe. Communists ruled one-party regimes. And remember, wherever communists came to power, they claimed monopoly on power and on truth. Their philosophy was totally atheistic, based on the, uh, the so-called dialectical materialism, which means no God, no heaven, no hell, no soul, no spirit. Nothing transcended, nothing spiritual exists. The matter is the only thing that exists. The matter is the only thing that matters. And so the communists consider religion to be outdated, obscurantist, pre-scientific, and even harmful way of thinking and living. And so since they control every uh, uh, electronic and uh, printed media and all of education, there was no Christian education, there was no Christian literature, uh, there was no training for ministry. I started one of the first schools there for training for, for ministry in Yugoslavia where Tito gave us a little bit more freedom. And going to elementary school, we would hear from day one, God does not exist. Religion is stupid. Only the old people go to church. When they die, nobody else will believe in God because science has proven and on and on and on. Uh, so, but Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And after his resurrection, as he was sending out his disciples, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Therefore, as you go, make disciples of all nations. You know, the creed that your pastor is expositing, and I wish I could be here next Sunday. You know, I believe in God Almighty. He's the creator, heaven and earth and so on. You could add, I believe in God who is the Lord over all nations. Not only over his church. God who, will, who had the first word, but will also have the final word over humanity. We serve this great God who at the same time is a personal God whom we can invite into our lives and who changes our lives and brings this joy and this sense of presence that we belong to him. Communism tried to eliminate all of that. Now, this map shows you that there was still a Soviet Union, which is not there any longer. There was still a Yugoslavia, which is not there. There was East Germany. There was Czechoslovakia. None of these countries exist any longer. As a matter of fact, 21 new countries came into existence when the, when the wall came down within a year, year and a half. Uh, now, so you move to the next map and you see Europe the way it looks today. It's kind of stretched out, though. does it look to me like that? Yeah. And so you have Yugoslavia, a number of new nations, uh, Germany reunited, and instead of Soviet Union, you have Russia and Ukraine and Belarus and Moldova and Estonia and Latvia and so many, so many of these new nations as Europe became a free continent, okay? Now, if you move from there to Yugoslavia, former Yugoslavia where I come from, 
which will be our next map. I was born up in Slovenia, okay? We are talking Macedonia, and there is Greek Macedonia, okay? Northern Greece and Southern Yugoslavia. As a matter of fact, in United Nations, Macedonia has this complicated name because of the objections of the Greeks, because Greek claim monopoly on Macedonia. Recently traveling from ex-Yugoslav ex Macedonia to Greece, I saw as I entered Greece a big sign, welcome to real Macedonia. <laughs> okay, so they had to use this, they still have to use this clumsy name. But we are talking about this, this region, so the most northern and the most southern republic. We have trained ministers for all of these regions, <coughs> and many of them became church planting missionaries to Bosnia and Herzegovina, where they planted over 30 churches. When we started our school, there were five or six, you could count them, uh, that we, what we call a born again believers in all of Macedonia. Montenegro was the least evangelized country in all of Europe. And I know that I've asked several times here this church to pray for, to pray for Montenegro and for Albania, which under communism was the worst. It was like North Korea today. Uh, prohibited all, all religion. And today we have hundreds of places of worship and one of my students translated Jesus film which has been shown now in every public school all over uh, Albania, formerly fanatic communist, neo-Stalinist kind of, of a country. Uh, so uh, out of one country came seven, seven new nations. So it's church planting and nation planting at the same time. Okay, that's the former Yugoslavia. And let me uh, show you, if we go to the next map, you will show and that's what I wanted to say Macedonians are still calling today. Uh, you see Turkey, Asia Minor. That's where Paul was with his team when they were trying to enter different places of, of modern day Turkey and the Lord said no. And then a man from Macedonia said, come over and help us, speaking on behalf of his people and one could say on behalf of his of his. Uh, continent. The very interesting thing in this passage is, and I'm not doing a thorough word-by-word -word, uh, exposition, but notice Paul saw the vision. And then look, the physician who joined the team somewhere there, because this is the first time he says we. He includes himself as he writes the book of Acts, his second volume, you know, his first volume was about the life and teaching of Jesus, the Gospel of Luke. His second volume is about the life of the early church, which is officially called the Acts of the Apostles. Okay? And he said, Paul saw the vision, the one man, man of God, had a vision. But then he says, we understood immediately that we had to go to Macedonia. We had to enter the new continent. <coughs> you see, the, every visionary needs a team. Without a team, without a company of co-workers, without partnerships, without accountability, you cannot really accomplish anything lasting, anything significant for the kingdom of God. There's a lot of teaching there for us. God has called us. You say, what? God has called us? He's called Paul. Well, through Paul. He has called us 
to preach the gospel to them also. <coughs> Sorry about my cough. Now, this is a contemporary map. In September last year, hundreds of thousands of refugees from Syria, you see Syria in the right corner below there, as well as from North Iraq, and then they were joined by Afghanistanis and many, many others. Hundreds of thousands started moving into this region. And here you have some pictures. Let's show some other pictures. And you see these large lines moving. Let's go back to the other picture. It shows, uh, yeah. And we have received in our region, if we can go back to the map, in Croatia, between, see as it goes, Belgrade, and then enters Croatia, and not far from there, I should have marked it, is Osijek, the place, the center of our ministry, and our seminary, which you have partnered with and prayed for, and which has, by the way, over 1,200 graduates now in more than 50 nations. And they have planted hundreds and hundreds of new churches. And hundreds more need to be planted all across the post-Soviet ideological wasteland. So continue praying, praising for what has been achieved and praying that God will extend his kingdom even further. Between six and 9,000 were arriving daily, as you've seen in those pictures, mostly by foot. And they, where do they go? As Hungary closed up this, their borders, they all came through Serbia, Croatia, Slovenia, to Austria, and most of them heading for Germany. Within six months, over 650,000 Near Eastern refugees came to Germany. Uh, and more are planning to come, although now the European nations are beginning to understand that they cannot take them all because they have their own problems, high unemployment and other problems. Germany was able to absorb larger numbers Although there's a lot of discussion in political and religious and public life in Germany uh, about this, because it will change the demographic pictures. It will change religious picture, because most of these people are Muslims. And besides that, it is now a known fact that among them, some terrorists were smuggled in. One of the terrorists uh, that caused last November that tragedy in, uh, in Paris was registered in a refugee camp not far in our neighborhood, only 15 kilometers from Osijek where we had our workers around the clock. That refugee camp has just been dismantled last week and borders are uh, closing. But there are, in Macedonia, on the border between Greece, Greece and Macedonia, if you watch CNN News, you could see it in the last few days, as well as on the border between Turkey and Greece, there are uh, major outbreaks of violence and thousands of refugees are trying to break through 
barbed wire uh, 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 walls and other barriers that are now trying to stop them. <clears throat> now, what do you do with people like that? Politically speaking, they may be a threat. But spiritually speaking, we need to love them. And so when they were arriving, and many of them with children, and many elderly, and some suffering, and many of them hungry, we started this action of buying children's food, of buying some clothing. And this last winter, we've distributed thousands of warm pieces of warm clothing and, and blankets and so on to make them warm and to have them put something in their stomach, and especially for the children. There were several weeks when we actually closed down the school, I mean closed down, uh, stopped with lectures because the need was so enormous. And some of our students and some of the faculty said, we cannot enjoy <coughs> the luxury of our wonderful classrooms in Osiek while in our neighborhood only 10 miles away people are starving and people are cold and people are suffering. It's the love of Jesus that compels us to serve them. And then we were allowed to put up a special tent where we would offer some spiritual help as well. And through an international evangelical organization, we were able to get an, uh, a converted Egyptian, a Christian Egyptian, as well as one from Jordan who spoke their language. And they would minister daily and they would translate uh, for our people. And in one uh, meeting, they just felt saying, now we do this because they were asking, why, why do you love us? You are Christian, we are Muslims. Why do you feed us? Why do you provide for us? They were not used to it. They were used to animosity. But here was love. That is the, that is the difference between the secular and a Christian attitude. Christians do not hate. Christians do not practice exclusion. Christian love. Christians don't dominate, they serve. They don't take revenge, they forgive. And these people were saying, now why do you do that? And so of course we would tell them about the love of Jesus. And our Egyptian brother was bold and in one of those meetings he said, how many of you would like to follow this Jesus of Nazareth? And over 70 of them responded. And I mean responded in a serious way because all of them stayed around for prayer, for individual counseling. They received the New Testament in their own Arabic language. And then we sent two of our workers, including this Albanian, uh, sorry, Egyptian brother, to Germany as they moved to Germany so that they would help them not only do follow-up work with them, but help them connect with the churches in Germany. And we have actually helped German churches who were closed, who didn't want these Muslim people in their churches. They're not Muslim people. They are people whom Jesus loves. They are people for whom Christ died on the cross. So you are supposed to love them too and invite them in. And there are some amazing stories 
of wonderful conversions and healing and reconciliation uh, uh, in many of these places. Macedonia is still calling. Europe is still calling. There are many challenges. I am glad to be able to share briefly with you this scripture and this story with this holy geography. And if we can have uh, the picture now also of the, of the group uh, of the refugees moving through the region. The, you see, in some places, the crowds were enormous, enormous crowds. And then in some places, there is a picture, violence would break out. Very often, they, they told us, the Afghanistanis and the people from Iraq don't get along. And they would break out in fights. One of our students from Bosnia, who himself was a refugee, because remember, for four years, there was a war in Bosnia. Over one million people have not yet returned to Bosnia, who were displaced, who became refugees. And many of them probably never will, because there is no place to return. Their houses have been destroyed, or they have, in the meantime, been assimilated in the West. Many of them came to the uh, United States. But one of our senior students, who was a refugee himself, who had this great love, and who initially organized this, uh, this whole outreach, he would get between them. He would reconcile them. He would push them aside if they were fighting each other. And he was beaten himself once. And he says, that's fine. I don't mind uh, uh, being beaten in the ministry of love and, and reconciliation. But uh, so you had, you had these, these kind of scenes in, in, in many uh, places. As you look at these pictures, and maybe we can have back to the picture where they move uh, as uh, in a, yeah, you can see there's even a police here accompanying them. You would have rivers of people like that. Most of them Muslims. Among them we found out some Christians. Because when we started sharing the gospel, we noticed that there are some Christians among them, but because they were a minority, they did not display their Christianity. And then they would come to us, and they said, well, we are Christians from Syria. We have been driven out by force from, from our homes, and we encourage them to help us in this ministry. As you see in this picture, as you, you looked at the map, as you hear the Macedonian call, please pray for Europe. Pray for these people. Let me uh, conclude with uh, a story that will take us back to the creation story. Uh, but the story that I am telling you now is not part of the canonical text. It's not in the scripture. It's not inspired in that sense, but it's very instructive. It says that when God was creating the world, angels came by to watch. And they watched very carefully. And then one of the angels said, Lord God, you are creating something out of nothing. How is that possible? How? And the second angel had a serious look on his face and he said, Lord God, you're creating something beautiful. Why? What's the purpose? Why are you doing this? Creating a world. We moderns would of course say that the first angel was uh, a scientist. He has a scientific mind. The science asked how. And the second one was a philosopher. Because philosophy asks why. And then the third angel watched 
said, oh, Lord God, you're creating something rich. And those diamonds you're putting into the, under the surface, and all this, this, this new planet, when you finish, can I have it? At least part of it. You give him the name. Okay, who he was, he wanted that for himself. The other two were a little bit more speculative. I like the attitude of the fourth angel. This is in a Jewish, non-scriptural interpretation of scripture, of creation story. The fourth angel watched and watched, and then he said, Lord God, you're creating something new, something beautiful, something that didn't exist before. And Lord God, I cannot be just a passive spectator. Can I help you? Can I help you? That needs to be our attitude. The Macedonian is still calling, come over and help us. When we help people in need, we help God who is building a new community. Our Lord is at work in our world, and you and I have a privilege of helping him create a new world, even among the refugees to whom we bring hope. Otherwise, they would have stayed in despair. Thank you for helping us in this ministry and praying for it. Amen.